You're listening to a DM podcast. Apple said there are 2 million podcasts on their Apple Podcasts directory, but only 1 million of them make it to episode 2. G'day, welcome to Behind the Podcast with Jules and Anthony. I'm Jules, and today Stocks and I chatted with Dan Illich from a Rational Fear podcast, the best comedy podcast at the 2020 Australian Podcast Awards. Stocks, what do you think, mate? I like the live show element and feel to it. This is another one of the shows that we talked to recently that have come from a live show background, which is cool. Uh, I love the use of satire, the power of satire, to talk about tricky subjects and to be quite influential. It's very impressive the way he's been able to source new talent, how he does that through mediums like TikTok, uh, social media and stuff. He's brought a lot of talent through and the format's really sort of catnip for your ABC types, the ABC audience types. Yeah, he has been able to use technology quite a bit actually throughout his show. He seems to experiment with everything from StreamYard to Discord to Patreon recently. Yeah, he's on Twitch. I mean, he's just looking for constantly looking for new ways to engage with the audience. Pretty cool. I mean, I didn't know about Discord. Knew nothing about that before this chat. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get started. Dan, thanks for coming in. Why don't you start by telling us about the show? I host um, the Irrational Fear podcast. It's kind of like Q&A on crack. Um, and yeah, it's fast. It's funny. We savage the news and drill down on climate change. Started off in 2012 at the FBI social, streaming live over FBI radio. And then we went from FBI to Radio National to selling out the Opera House to the Nas- sell out national tours. We took a long break when I moved to America and worked for other companies over there. And then now I'm back and doing it weekly. And it's, um, yeah, it's been incredible. So I, the reason why I'm croaky is that I've just spent the last week in Melbourne for the Melbourne Comedy Festival, staying up very late, drinking and talking very loudly in bars. And we did our Melbourne Comedy Festival show uh, a couple of days ago. We just popped that up on the, on the feed as well. So, yeah, back in the swing of it. Um, it's a great little show if you uh, like your news funny, as I assume many people in this network do. Definitely. Uh, a Rational Fear is the show to uh, to tune into. Yeah, and It must be good getting back out in front of the live audiences again after a slightly disruptive year. Oh, it is absolutely sensational because as we made the commitment to go weekly last year, about four weeks into it, the festival got shut and everything got shut down. So there was, there was no live shows. So this is our first big live show back. Uh, after the pandemic. Um, oh, it's not. It's our second big live show back after the pandemic. We did our 100th, 100th show yep. a couple of months ago and and now we've got basically a live show a month coming up. So we've got mid-May, we're doing a special about satire and journalism for the Judith Nielsen Institute around Chippendale. That's going to be a fun live show in their brand new theatre. June, we're doing, a, <laughs> uh, we're doing a regional tour about climate change. So we're going to Newcastle and Broken Hill doing a show about energy transition out of coal. Yeah, it's uh, to, to renewables in Newcastle. And Interesting audience with that one. And that's yeah, it's going to be. Um, yeah, I'm going to put up some chicken wire and uh, see how we go. Uh, but you know, we're trying to get good people, and you know, Matt Keane is is keen ostensibly to come do the show. So that'll be great. Um, the hero we need, Matt Keane. The hero we need. I never thought I would I would see a hero in a liberal minister, but here we are. Like fan standing over Matt Keane, <laughs> and then uh, the Broken Hill show is going to be all about water theft and being downstream from the, the Murray Darling and how basically the rest of the country steals all their water before it, you know, it's kind of the midway between uh, the, the 
the floodplains and Adelaide. And so Broken Hill's like a nice spot where it's pretty dry and they only get the trickles of water that farmers and people who are stealing water in Queensland and New South Wales uh, are allowing them to. So that's going to be fun. That's going to be a really that's going to be a really fun show. Talk about <laughs> talk about water theft. But this is what this is what the show does, right? Like it, we take the saddest stories and try to make people laugh at them. Yeah, and, and even appreciate that they're there because I mean, a lot of the time, you know, the barrier ent- of entry for a lot of news stories is that it's kind of depressing. If you can give that satirical spin, why would you watch Four Corners when you can yeah. uh, <laughs> listen to five drunk people complain about it on stage? As many people in your network have discovered, you know, satire is such a potent tool. Yes, for communicating the news. I did a bit of work for the US State Department a few months back talking about how young people get their news and talking about how the chaser shovel and Batuta, uh, when the Facebook switch turned, it was like the only news source for young people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it was really, you know, so it's really nice to kind of have that as validation for the kind of work we're doing. So you're coming up on 10 years. Do you want to tell us a bit about how you kind of got started and previous shows that led into Irrational Fear? Lewis has done... Lewis Hobber's done most of the shows, and he and I started off in a TV show called Hungry Beast. Mm-hmm. Mm, you know, uh, more the than, Great Hungry Beast. You know, the yeah. Great Hungry Beast, more than 10 years ago now. So 2009, we started out on that show. Uh, and previous to that show, I was the director of uh, a TV show in Melbourne called The Mansion, which Charlie Pickering and Michael Chamberlain hosted. It was another satirical comedy show on the Comedy Channel. And previous to that, I was, previous to that, I was working on the Ronnie Johns Half Hour oh, on oh, Channel 10. Yeah. I was a sketch comedy performer there and director on that show. And then uh, simultaneously from uh, about 2006, seven onwards, I was making uh, campaign videos for GetUp, making hilarious kind of funny campaign videos to raise money for uh, issues that GetUp were kind of doing. So that was a long time ago, like very early days of GetUp. The first one I made for them, I made a parody of the Where the Bloody Hell Are You uh, campaign. Yep. So I I made it and chucked so it up. So tying back to Scott Morrison all the way back then, really. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I, little did I know, I, you know, 15 years later, I'd be, still be making fun of Scott Morrison <laughs> on, on the internet. Uh, so I made this parody of the Where the Bloody Hell Are You campaign and it, it went off. Like it got, it was early days of YouTube, 2006. It got like one and a half million hits online heaps of people saw it including the lawyers for tourism australia who sent me a cease and desist letter saying you gotta you gotta remove it from your website because you've copied our music and that's when you know you've done good satire yeah Yeah, when gilbert and tobin are sending you legal letters (laughs) um you know you're nailing it i went to cuba in like oh six oh seven and i was flying back um from the united states after going to cuba and go to a friend's wedding in boston and i was flying back and i was sitting next to this bloke who had a shaved head and blue jeans and white sneakers. And I'm like, fuck that. That's definitely an American guy. Uh, and I, and I recognised him from enough rope. And I said, excuse me, are you um, Major Michael Murray, David Hicks's lawyer? And he's like, yeah, I am. And I was like, oh, great. I'm a comedian and here's what I do. I make, I'm doing this sketch show and make these sketches. He's like, well, you should do something for us. I'm like, okay, all right. Wow. David Hicks's lawyer. Yeah, I'll do something for you. And so Get Up and I teamed up. We made this campaign. Um, called David Hicks's Cribs. <laughs> and we raised like, it was one of the early kind of digital campaigns. We raised like uh, t- tens of thousands of dollars to run more campaigns. It was awesome. So that was, that unlocked for me like a little, 
aha moment yeah. in comedy and satire. I was like, well, if you can connect this bit of content with an audience and you can get that audience to do something, mm, maybe yep. some tangible change can happen in the world. And I feel like up until that point, the t- those two ideas probably weren't connected. You had TV shows that did the satire, but the audience wasn't encouraged to do something. Yeah, so, just kind of passive and, and not really kind of activating what they can do. And Yeah, yeah. So that was super interesting to me and that was like an aha moment that I was like, well, I've got to remember that for the future. And that's kind of, uh, I'm kind of building up to that point now where I can maybe turn a rational fear into a vehicle for doing good things. So when you started thinking about the the show, I mean, you've got that audience kind of, you know, interaction element of it, obviously, that comes with a live show. Yeah. Was this sort of around the, the genesis of, of Irrational Fear or did it take a bit of tweaking to get where you are? It was the first, the first show we did was on stage yeah. at the FBI Social. Back then, we were doing Hungry Beast. We just finished and I wanted to do like a daily show. Back then, there was no McAuliffe show. There was no Charlie Pickering the Weekly. There was no kind of um, Good News Week. Mm. It was, there was none of that. It was gone. So I was just trying to think think of like how can I pilot what a, what a daily show slash Colbert kind of fun, okay. energetic show about the news. So could- you mean the daily show, John Stewart? The daily show, John Stewart. Yeah, yeah the John Stewart daily show back then, yeah. yeah. I was like, what, what, how could I make my own? And so that's what we did. We, we made a rational fear um, on stage and uh, I, I worked at FBI back in the day and lovely enough to give me some airtime and, and the FBI social back then, which was, which was a room in a pub in King's Cross, in the King's Cross Hotel yeah. um, back then. It was a special room, band room. Used to have live gigs there all the time that would stream over FBI radio. So it was amazing. This, and if you listen to it in the car, as many people did in Sydney, they heard it and they would drive to King's Cross, get out, get and come halfway through the show. Yeah, really? Because yeah, I just, I, people would tell me all the time. It's like I was just listening to it. And I was just like, I've got to drive to King's Cross Hotel and see this, and it was amazing. So people would just turn up. You know, you see the the, the crowd swell swell at the back of the yeah. room. It was remarkable. So yeah, it was one of those early kind of it do, like doesn't exist. No one does that on radio anymore. Like no one no. does these live these live broadcasts like this. So it was for us. It was like fuck. We we got our own. This is our daily show. You know, this is our this is this is our satirical comedy platform for comedians to to tell it like it is, you know, and have a good time, you know, and build a, like a community in a fun environment where Sydney's comedians can come together and, and do this. Um, and so we did, yeah. That's incredible. So were you thinking in your mind it was a live show radio or were you aware of podcasts at that moment? Yeah, I was aware of podcasts. I was a listener. I didn't know the technical ins and outs of it. And yep. so I foolishly put it on SoundCloud. <laughs> and so uh, that was the kind of the first iteration of the podcast was just that first show. It put popped it up in SoundCloud, and then we'd, we'd do it monthly, roughly, um, from that point on. Yeah. So after that first show, I mean, you must have been pretty pumped, especially seeing you know people actually come in as the shows. <laughs> yeah, like because we would just invite our friends, and you know, we'd have a room full of 120 people, and yeah. it was so great. And we'd have special guests, like I think Kamal did our first show, yeah. and then we had like um, Dr. Carl and Tim Flannery, and uh, loads of incredible special guests throughout the years like just really great really great brains um Layla McKinnon the host of Current Affair came and did our show yeah <laughs> you know like that was funny and we we made a sketch for her called a Current of Fairy Tales where uh Layla McKinnon read out uh fairy tales in the voice of a current affair it was really funny so like it was you know it was this kind of thing it was really cool but it's a lot of work you know yeah. so much work to do and so and monthly really wasn't cutting it for 
growing a podcast audience. No. This year, probably the last year, um, has been the first time I've done it weekly. And um, it's exhausting, but very rewarding. And then how much did the format change? Because we listened to the first episode and it felt a bit more, okay, Michael Hing's going to do a piece and then so-and-so is going to do a piece. Yep. It felt like a sort of a bit more of a stand-up show at the beginning. Mm. A lot of Kanye references for yep. it was uh, 2012. <laughs> yeah. um, Facebook's still the primary social media. Yeah, yeah a lot of Facebook mentions. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it was really interesting time capsule. Yeah. But a lot of the similar, I guess, tone. You've managed to keep the same tone. Yeah, the tones roughly stayed the same. I think what initially... I really wanted to kind of focus on climate change from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So, or like have a comedy show that brought in climate change conversations. So it was a way to kind of trick the audience into learning about climate change. So that's the name of Rational Fit. The name I mean, it's of amazing in that regard, you know, back then, because it was, you know, it was being talked about, but it's certainly not to the degree with which it is today, which is still not enough. Yeah, still not enough. And so as particularly in last year, we've really focused more on climate change and we have a, like a spin-off show, a monthly mm. uh, interview show in the podcast feed called The Greatest Moral Podcast of Our Generation, which is a bit more serious um, but still pretty pretty light. Yeah, the name of Rational Fear comes from the idea that the media makes you scared of things and so we wanted to do things you should actually be scared of. Um, yeah. And the number one thing is climate change. <laughs> and that comes from Rod Quantock. I once did a panel with him in 2008 and we were at the Parramatta Riverside Theatres and we were doing this comedy panel about satire and he's like, you know, I've changed my entire shows to be about climate change because there's nothing else to make jokes about. And that has sat in the back of my head ever since. Yeah. And so like, I've just been trying to figure out how can I use the power I have to do mm. to do something about this? So that's that's where that's how rational fear came about. And then and then so the weekly shows um, that we've been doing this year are slightly different. It's um we just talk about the news and then we have an interview, uh, and it's interspaced with sketches um, mm -hmm. or stand up if if there's um like a special kind of when when the Melbourne Comedy Festival got cancelled, I invited stand ups who wanted to burn material <laughs> <laughs> to come on their show, on the on the podcast and do it. Um, so it's much more jokes about the news of that week. Uh, and then uh, our Melbourne uh, our 100th show was our kind of first show back and now our Melbourne Comedy Festival show, which are both on the feeds now. You can kind of hear a little bit of return back to the original format where people bring a party piece. Yeah. Um, but the opening of the show is usually kind of going down one topic yeah. and then throwing it open to people to bring bring a plate because it's much easier for me if I get people to bring a plate so I don't have to write an hour show. So totally. Well, I was going to say, I mean, in terms of, you know, recruiting the guests and getting them to come on plus prepare something like that, I mean, what's the generally the timeline that you'd like to give them? And so for the weekly podcast, it goes like this. Sunday, I spend um, banging out my phone and Twitter trying to find guests for the show for Thursday night record. Uh, I usually bang out the lineup Sunday or Monday or if I'm lazy, Wednesday night or wow. Thursday. Um, and I try to lock everyone on, on Sunday night. So that takes a few hours to organise. And then Wednesday I start thinking about the show and chatting with people in the Discord about what in the Discord server that we've got going, great little community of nerds who love the show, um, throwing up ideas for what's topical and what's interesting and stories we might have missed. And then Thursday from about 10 o'clock I write the show from 10 till 7.30 and then we record at 8, stream out cool. over, over Twitch and Facebook and YouTube to the Patreon and then export the export the audio from 8.45 to 9 and then ship that off to Jacob. Jacob cuts it, comes back 12 and then I I publish the Substack. Um, it takes about two hours to do that. So I might publish, uh, depending when the clip comes back, 
between 10 a.m. or lunchtime on the Friday, and then that goes out. So that take it takes takes about two hours to write an email, get all the links. You would know as podcasters how long it takes Apple to fucking uh, put its podcast on like to gestate a fucking RSS feed. It's frustrating. Why doesn't it happen straight away like every other player? You're just waiting for that one link from Apple so you can share that one fucking <laughs> podcast link. But Apple decides, no, you know, we'll, we'll just uh, we'll just take our time getting this. In their good time. In their fucking yeah. system. So I upload in the morning and then I update the notes as I go along because I know Apple's going to take its sweet ass time to put the link through together. Then once that link's through, I copy all the links from Spotify, Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, and by podcasts, chuck those links in the email and hit publish, and then it's just gone. And then breathe for a couple. And then of I, well, then I got to do all the social assets, right? So I got to oh. <laughs> got to put out the sketches. The sketches are the easy viral, uh, low hanging fruit. So mm. often the sketches play really well on Twitter. So I just uh, c- caption those, put them out. And then use that as the top of the funnel to hit the Substack, and then um, folks will find the will find the show through those clips, join the Substack, and want, and then I'm then I've captured their email, and they will pray they will fall victim to an email every week uh, from me from that point onwards. So yeah, yeah. that's it's kind of that's kind of my my funnel in a right. in a snapshot. You talked about the the sort of early work you did making the satirical, you know, where the bloody hell are they? Uh, but the satirical, you know, campaign ads throughout yeah. the podcast are just fantastic, and they just lend themselves so well, I suppose, to you know Instagram and you know any other social thing you want to put it out onto. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so they go wonderfully well just as a headliner video just chuck it up with a graphic and it does the little waveform and i put the captions on it and somehow it just goes so well and if i've got money or i think it deserves a little bit of extra love i'll take some of the patreon money and i'll get a graphic designer behind it and make a beautiful explainer type video so like we did with the with the media bargaining laws uh, facebook video um so we we chucked that together as as an audio sketch but I deliberately wrote it to put pictures to later. Yeah, okay. And so um, with Maria Yanofsky from Tonightly, I've got a lot of great creative people who I can tap to do certain things. So um, and when we see fit to make a video that we know is going to go well, uh, I just put, put the resources behind it and mm-hmm. I try to make a beautiful, smart bit of video. And how long does that con- bit of content take to be animated? Uh, well, because I don't pay very much, yeah. it takes forever. <laughs> <laughs> In so, and around other things. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm not, a, I don't, I'm not, I don't have the resources of uh, of a larger podcast. Yeah. Uh, but if if the Patreon started to get around to. Ten thousand a month, I would I would invest half of that straight away in video, yeah. and like I would be pumping out video a week really scale up the opportunity to kind of make more content and that's the dream you know that's the dream is to um be self-sustaining independent content creator with enough audience and enough patreon love to kind of create a a satire mega machine like you know comes out of this building when did you start the patreon (laughs) a year ago okay (laughs) yeah so i regret not doing it 10 years ago yeah I mean, has it been a bit of a, a game changer? I know, like, there are still a certain level of personal readouts that you get for the contributors, but oh it no, it must be incredible. It's so good because it means I can pay if when I need money to do things, the money's there, and I know the money's there, and I don't have to dip into my personal wealth to make things. Mm. Um, so at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, I spent four hundred bucks of the Patreon money to buy little bottles of vodka and Jägermeister and put them under 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 the seats of people in Melbourne and Great. say that they've been given a vaccine. So I had this Oprah <laughs> moment where I was like, "You get a." 
vaccine. You get a vaccine. You get a vaccine. <laughs> and then you have all the people looking under their chairs. Did you spend a, the rest of the Patreon money for your lawyers to advise you not to put little bottles of bleach? <laughs> well, 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 the AstraZeneca. Uh, well, uh, the absolute vodka was absolute Zeneca, and uh, the Jägermeister was Jäger Pfizer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the joke was like, we only bought enough for fifteen percent of the audience, so you had all the audience looking, and then, awesome. I, then I said, I'm sorry, we only got enough for fifteen percent of the audience, yeah. and they just lost it. It was great. <laughs> So with guests, I suppose, I mean, you've had, you know, a range of different people who have been able to come on the show over yeah. the years. So we've got the giant dwarf, yeah. Kamal, the Michael Hings, the um, Alex Lees, sort of good regulars. Yeah, yeah. So I've got a, an ongoing list. Well, all these people we all came up doing comedy with, mm. you know. So I, I, first, I first started doing comedy on stage with my university friends like Heath Franklin, Felicity Ward, Jordan Raskopoulos. Folks like that, and then that translated to the TV show Ronnie Johns, um, and then during after Ronnie Johns, we started a club night at the Roxbury called Comicide. It was a um, uh, a sketch comedy night where the rule only rule was if you performed, you wrote, yeah. uh, and you had to write new things every two weeks. And so every two weeks we'd have this sketch Fresh comedy material. night uh, at the Roxbury, and that was really great. And that led to doing Melbourne comedy f- festival shows with Comicide. And so when we first did our Melbourne comedy festival show, the first one we did as uh, as a group from Sydney was called uh, The Beatification of Newt Burton and the Great Viagra Robbery. Rolls <laughs> off the tongue. For you, does. <laughs> it, was a, it was a play. It was a comedy sitcom. Yeah. Um, and we took that to the Melbourne comedy festival. And there wasn't anyone from Sydney going down. There was a couple of stand-ups. But, like, we were, like, the first young group of Sydney people to kind of force our way to Melbourne and kind of carve out a little niche down there and then return every year with a new show. And so gradually, like, that's how we kind of infiltrated Melbourne and then gradually more people from Sydney came down and brought their own shows down. And it was so nice to see, like, the first year we were the only ones. The second year there was one in there's us and somebody else, and then third year was us, and then Michael Hing had his sketch comedy show down there, yeah. and so like, it, it, and uh, so were they quite, quite siloed at that stage? The, where oh, the performance totally siloed. Yeah, like it was so bizarre. Like Sydney people just didn't go to Melbourne for comedy festival. Hmm. Just like you just didn't do it. Yeah. Um, and a couple of big stand-ups did, but that's about it. It was this awesome kind of moment where that show led to lots of other people coming down like it was very it was anyway that's like the history of comedy that's a that's a whole <laughs> other like, kind, of, kind of kind of conversation and the guests i mean you've had you know a bunch of international guests as well i, I was listening you know at one stage to the one with scaramucci <laughs> yeah we did a u.s politics show a couple months out from the election and scaramucci dm'd me once about joking to come on the podcast yeah and so I, so I hit him up for it. <laughs> so he, he like totally joked about like, I'll come on your podcast. Uh, and that was, that was like February. So then I hit him up six months later, said, you want to come on this Now's podcast? Good time. And he's like, yeah, come on. And I was like, great. Let's find a time. <laughs> great. <laughs> I mean, it was incredible listening to that. Like hearing his sort of, you know, side of, of where he was and, and where he's sort of trying to be now. And, you know, there's a whole lot of, you know, political whatever mixed up in that. But even just hearing someone like that, that you just wouldn't expect would have this kind of moment where they're saying, well, you know, I wasn't right in supporting that person or doing what I did there and it was quite I don't know it was quite stunning at first for yeah me. it was it was really it was really interesting to kind of see him um, uh, admit that you know Trump wasn't the best person in the world <laughs> and that was that was because now of course he's 
it's very fashionable to hate Trump. And, yes. You know, he was yeah. part of a Republican group called. He was funding some of the Lincoln Project uh, and and raising money for them and doing stuff like that. So that's kind of interesting too. So yeah, the other guy that. Um, it was a big international guest we had last year it was a guy called Ben Rhodes. Of course, he's That's the host horrible. of um, Crooked Media's Pod Save the World. Mm. And I met him at the um, uh, Obama Foundation Leadership Forum um, uh Two years ago, 2019, um, I, I did a like a fireside chat with him. We became mates, and I asked him if he'd come on the podcast. He said, "Yeah." And he, we, so we had this great conversation about authoritarianism and politics, and he dropped this great nugget about how the Obama White House, when they would get annoyed dealing with Tony Abbott, what they would do is they would bring up the Julia Gillard misogyny speech and so watch good. it over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the idea of like Obama going, yeah, fuck that guy. Let's yeah. let's watch let's watch <laughs> Julia. <laughs> let's watch Julia. <laughs> and so that was a, a, a lovely moment. And I knew from that moment on, I was like, oh, th- that's that's the bit that we're going to PR for this show. <laughs> and Ben said, oh, it looks like we broke some news. And I'm like, yeah, we did, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah you did. Thank you. So with COVID, you recording everyone via Zoom. Yeah. Before COVID, when you went weekly, were you doing it face-to-face? Was we were. It- so we were doing it um, at FBI's studios um, in, in Redford in Sydney. So we were doing everyone in the same room because, you know, when you're doing comedy, timing is important and mm. internet lags and stuff like that. But but when COVID hit, we just were like, well, let's just do it over StreamYard. We started on Zoom, then we moved to StreamYard so we could have a bit more power with our vision. And um, it worked out great. And the benefit of that as I'm sure you know, is that, fuck, you could book anyone in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how we got. Doing a pod- uh-huh. podcast with Scaramucci and Dave and Fran worked out so perfectly. You know, like, it's just like, oh, fuck, of course, you know. And we're almost in a pretty good time slot, a time zone to do that. Um, West Coast US in particular. Mm. West Coast US in particular, yeah. So we did that. I've got to work around Lewis's schedule because he's got an actual job. And so he usually he's usually got to be at work by 10 so we recorded that at eight o'clock in the morning our time, so we could get all the Americans all, all on board, and they were quite happy too. So that kind of worked out fine. We had some great guests. Like two weeks ago, we had Adam Hills on because Adam Hills was stuck in quarantine. So it was like fantastic. Like uh, can't go anywhere, mate. Might as well come on. So do you think that that sort of opens yourself up to a bit more of an international audience? And would you start to like tackle you know other countries' politics? I mean, obviously you have through the states to a degree, but yeah, I I think so. I think that if I want to grow an audience, probably uh, I've got to really go down that Q route. <laughs> no, I don't. Look, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm very at home in Australian politics and um, that's appealing. But I do, we do have an international listener. So there's an incredible writer who I love in America. He writes for Wired magazine um, uh, and your listeners may know him. He's an incredibly intellectual dude called Paul Ford. Uh, super guy, has his own podcast called Post Light. Um, he runs a small digital agency out of New York City, and he listens to the podcast. and um, And I'm like, "Fuck, that's so cool!" Like one of my um, podcasting slash writery heroes listening to our podcast out of America is great. So that's great, and I'm part of a I'm part of a a couple of big international groups in the moment. Um, uh, uh, last year I was at a Obama leader, and so we had a whole bunch of people at this Obama leader foundation from Obama Foundation leadership group um, from all around the world who I'm associated with. Um, they're involved in like making their own sort of things, and they listen to the podcast. And then uh, the uh, Bertha Fellowship, which I'm currently on, I've got a, a fellowship, and that, that they, they support people working in climate action and artists and uh, lawyers and activists in that space. So, um, they, how, do, how do they come about? 
I just applied for it last year, yeah. um, uh, probably January last year, and uh, it's a fellowship that they 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 pay for uh, people to do their work, and it's like fuck, this is the best thing that's happened. So it meant it meant I could have a wage while I made a rational fear, yeah, true. and that was that was the best thing I've had all in my career. It's just like someone going, oh yeah, you could just yeah, we'll just give you the money to make your podcast. I'm Spread like, the good word, great, excellent, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? That's a that's a great model. Yeah, terrific. I mean, yeah, if you find yourself, you know, campaigning for a cause and there's something out there that can support that, I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's how I've been able to just do it every week and the momentum's been growing, you know, throughout the year because of it. There yeah. was a fantastic stat I heard on one of your recent episodes where you were talking about, I think it's something like 9% of people are climate change deniers, but they make so much noise. Or but it's like, that kind of loudest voice thing. That's right. And so what you're doing is so important because we've got to try and drown that out because the average the other statistic i remember was mentioned was the average per- person thinks that 25 percent of people are climate deniers because they make that much noise yeah yeah, yeah but the, yeah it's much smaller yeah Do you so find that some people you know of opposing views are keen to get on and sort of give their point of view or just kind of have a bit of fun or is it a bit more you know the left are willing to do this and well no well, I, I certainly not unopposed to having conservative voices on the podcast if you know particularly if they embrace climate action like yeah we've had matt Keane on the podcast and that was a real coup for us so um matt Keane took a risk he didn't know the podcast and then was just having the best time great and he's now keen to do now now interested in doing a lot more um so that's great and and so uh, that's a that's a kind of a i'm not interested in getting someone on who's um who is a mouthpiece for the carbon lobby who's going yep. to talk about climate change and the opposite like really I'm interested in having Gideon on because he is a complete shill and that would be hilarious. Um, and but he's a really nice fellow. Like he's fun, like he's funny, but he get he he comes from wealth and manages the carbon lobby's mouthpiece the IPA, which is so absurd. It's comedy to be on our show if you're that person. So yeah, yeah. that will be funny. What I am interested in doing is talking about climate change in a way that it can shift the needle somewhere and We've had lots of great folks, particularly with the greatest moral podcast of our generation. The first guy we had on was a guy called Kevin Rudd. He coined the phrase mm-hmm. and we, we stole it and changed it to be the name of our, our show. Um, we've had uh, Osher Gunsberg on. We've had um, uh, Mike Cannon-Brooks on. Yeah. Um, Billionaires, politicians. We had a uh, young Torres Strait guy who is part of the group called the Torres Strait Eight, who's taking Australia to court uh, to the UN um, because they are invading his human rights because they're not taking climate action seriously. Um, so that's really compelling conversation mm. um, if you get to listen to that one. And his lawyer, uh, Sophie Marginach, who's an Australian lawyer, lives in London, who's taking that court case to the thingo, had Sarah Wilson on and Rebecca Huntley on and um, coming up on Greatest Moral Podcast of Our Generation. <laughs> I had a great chat with uh, Giordano from The Juice Media and Rob Contock, and as soon as I finish this podcast, I'm going home to interview Gene uh, Hinchcliffe, who is one of the young leaders of the school strike for, yeah. for climate. Um, and she's just put out a book, and um, she's like a really compelling young leader in, in climate change. So if you love those conversations, that's great. Um, my brother, he says, oh, I like the show, but, you know, when when you get some scientists on to talk about climate change, I skip that one. Right. <laughs> like, oh, Cheers, okay. <laughs> no, but luckily the stats prove otherwise. So yeah. the stats say, you know, it kind of holds, it, it holds the conversation and people are kind of into it. And 
Do you have a bit of a, a hit list in, on guests in that regard? I mean, certainly for the longer conversation ones where you do need to, you know, it's not sketches and, and you know, audience participation. Yeah. Do you have a bit of a list of, around, you know, things that are currently, you know, immediately topical, might be better suited there. And, and But if it's the sort of broader subject, I want to talk to this guy or this woman or whoever. The weekly show, I'll just book that that week. So I can even wait till Wednesday or Thursday to book the interview guests for that show. Mm. It'll make it topical and zeitgeisty for that week. For Greater Smaller Podcast, the climate change is going to be around and it has yeah. been around and there's plenty of people to talk to. So I kind of just want to get good names and chat people I'm interested in talking to. So right now, the person who I would love to really get is John Kerry. <laughs> and um, and then ultimately, it'd be great to get um, Greta on the show at some point. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm kind of hoping to get these names um, locked, locked away. And how do you approach them? And you're pretty active on Twitter. Is that the sort of first move? Or Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'll jump into someone's DMs if I could, yeah, and uh, ask them. That's how I asked Matt Keane. He, he started following me on Twitter. So I was like, great, Matt, join us. You know, Mike Hannah-Brooks is the same. He's He's, we've been trying to get him for ages and he loves the kind of stuff we make. So, you know, that's cool. I'll Did you ask in. him to chip in a little bit on the Patreon? <laughs> <laughs> Just an accounting error. Yeah. Um, well, no, it, it is funny. We, I've asked him to participate in, we made a, after the bushfires in 2020, we created a, a deep dive explainer about how Australia's carbon lobby has gotten rid of every prime minister since Bob Hawke. And it was a really interesting explainer uh, Kara Schlegel wrote it and Tim Minchin hosted it and uh, I was sitting on the beach as ash was kind of falling out of the sky like wondering fuck what do I do here like how do I how can I help this is so crazy so I was just texting I texted three people to see if they would chip in to make a video um and I, I texted Dick Smith, Simon Holmes of Court and, and Mike and all said yes, they would chip in. So I didn't take Mike's money because uh, Dick and Dick and Simon covered, Provided covered it between the two of them. So uh, I said, oh, it's okay, I'll get you on the next one. <laughs> <laughs> it cost money to make these videos. We didn't have a lot of money. We just got 3000 each from Simon and Dick and that was enough to pay for writers, producers, um, sound mix and you know graphic designers to make sure they got paid to spend a couple of weeks making this. Do you have a good sort of uh, group of people that you can lean on and, and pull them in when you need to for those Exactly, sorts of yeah. I've yeah. been making TV for 15 years, so yeah. there's all, all the talent in the world is at my fingertips. With the audience itself, I mean, you know, the live show is one thing. You've got a great audience participation there, but you were mentioning that people suggest topics and, and kind of, you know, give you ideas for live shows and things like that. If you've got quite an engaged audience, it sounds like. Yeah, our, our community is pretty strong, particularly we started off with a Facebook group and because that's kind of what some podcasts were doing. A like lot of them do it, yes. Chats 10, Looks 3, does that, and they, that's a really um, that's a world, engaged man. engaged group. Um, yeah, so, so I'm just trying to figure out how to build that community, and we've found that Discord is probably the, is the better way. I, was, I jumped into Montaigne's Discord and just to kind of see how it operated before I pulled the plug and oh, hit, the, hit, the, hit the trigger yeah. on ours. And it was great. She is... Well, they have got such an incredible um, community of young people who are engaged in her music, but in all sorts of things. So they've got great channels where lots of great chat is happening all over the shop. So I kind of thought, well, that's an interesting model. Um, let's see if we can do that for us. And so our Discord is like full of comedians and wannabe content creators and um, and comedians who have got real jobs who miss the cut and thrust of writing jokes. And yeah. so I've got a channel just for opening jokes. And so if someone's got a joke, they'll 
you know, they might they might have three kids and a job, and they'll be like, oh, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not doing this for anyone else, but I'll just put the joke in there. And it's great. So I I'll try and take as many jokes as as I can out of that and to put it in the script each week. Okay. Um, and so one of the best puns came out of the Discord this week was for a sketch we ran at our Melbourne Comedy Festival show. Um, and I was kind of like chatting on the Discord saying, I really want to do something about the vaccine rollout. I'm trying to find an angle for it. And one of the Discord guys wrote, jab seeker. And I was like, that yes. is fantastic. That's the best part I've ever heard. And so, good. so I wrote, wrote this whole sketch around jab seeker. Do you shout out the person or acknowledge them? Or oh yeah, totally. At the end of the at the end of the show, we run the credits, and yeah. you know, if someone's got a joke, in, you know, I'll, I'll name check them. Yeah. Um, like, uh, except for the, some some people on Discord, I don't have their real names, so I don't kind of know how to do it. I'll just say, then shout out to the Discord people on the Discord. Yeah. In your mind, what were the advantages of Discord over a Facebook group? Oh, it's not on Facebook. Yeah. Um, Big one. Yeah. Huge. huge. <laughs> yeah. I find Facebook is the most malevolent business in the world, and um. And it's so, it it just sucks money out of creators, and it's very it's very uninteresting. Like I get no traction unless I put money on anything, particularly mm. through the comedy pages I have. So it's just there to be there. Um, and uh, if I want engagement, I'll chuck videos through uh, Instagram and TikTok because Facebook's algorithm is just so demented and um, literally. Um, uh, uh, the opposite of advance. Like it's just, it's there just to suck the money out of you because if you want engagement, you've got to pay for it. And I'm not interested in playing that game. Um, mm. and and especially once you pay for it, it seems to really impact you. Yeah. I mean, that's with Patuta. We've never put money behind posts. Really? Just, just from this fear of if we do, because we've seen it with other people, you put some money behind it. And once you feed the monster, it changes your algorithm. Right. Well, it's our paranoia, at least. Well, yeah. I think I think you're probably correct. That's probably the smart move. Like, even the, my best jokes might get, you know, three three shares or four shares on a Facebook page, but on Twitter it'll get like thirty thousand kind of yeah, likes amazing. and stuff. And yeah. it's like, well, like, what are you like? What's wrong with Facebook? Like, mm. what's what's wrong with this thing? Yeah. And you know, the is this thing on? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, it's like terrible. That's why I'm trying to build. Uh, the top of my funnel leads everything to Substack, so I've got everyone's emails. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, this is the this is the this is the content creator model now. Is like people are trying to own the email, um, and so I'll, I've got a small crowd. So, so twenty five hundred on the email. Everyone to sign up at rationalfear.com and we'll send you weekly funnies. In terms of technology, I mean, you seem to be quite across and, and experimental across all you know social platforms yeah. and everything. You've got the Twitch with the live shows, you're using Twitter and Instagram and everything. Are you pretty open to when something comes out, like you know, TikTok, for instance, having a go and seeing how you could use it to your advantage? Or Yeah, totally. And like I find... I get a lot of engagement through LinkedIn and a lot of engagement through TikTok. And I think TikTok's extraordinary and I think it's so powerful and it's great for finding talent as well. So, and particularly finding like um, uh, indigenous talent and people of color to come play. Um, I've, I've gotten heaps of people to come come on the show, particularly one great Aboriginal comedian called Emily Johnston. She's a content creator. Who, she works out of Redfin. She's from Broken Hill and she's just hysterical. And it's great to give her a slot on the podcast because... I saw her on TikTok. I'm like, yeah. fuck, you're funny. You, you're, you're really funny. You're going to be a superstar in a few years. And that's how I found Gabby Bolt as well. Gabby Bolt, 
watching her do Ospol comedy videos on, on TikTok. I'm like, shit, you're really funny. And uh, I might give you a crack at doing something. And she knocked out of the park the first thing I asked her to do. And she's really good on the mic too. She's really yeah. good on a panel. And just like, you are going to be like the next Tim Minchin. Someone better uh, absolutely. buy shares sounds, in you. Yeah. Like, so it's like you, TikTok is feeding people that, that I would never otherwise see and are so talented and um, – and so I'm, I use TikTok to scout, yeah, you know, to scout talent and try and bring people through that channel through to through to the rational. And that's field. why the networks aren't really getting any of these sort of young talent because it's not really, you know, they're not where they are. No, no one wants no one wants a 23 year old Aboriginal woman telling jokes on network TV. Why not? She's yeah. the funnier. There's a like she's so funny, and no one wants Gabby Bolt from Bathurst to come on on the project. <laughs> like, why not? She's just the she's the she's so funny. These, yeah. these are incredible talents. Yeah, it's great because um, once you hear them on the podcast, it's just I mean, it's undeniable, isn't it? Yeah, like you can't. Yeah, you can't. You can't say they don't deserve a spot at the table because they're they're so talented, and it's it also, it's also incredibly frightening because um, it's like oh I wasn't part of a small crowd of people I was just a part of a privileged few who got access to old media yeah, <laughs> yeah. and now these people that are coming up are a lot better <laughs> well, I love the democratization of it That's <laughs> yeah all of a sudden I'm not worried about I'm not worried about immigrants coming to take my jobs I'm worried about young people yeah. <laughs> young tiktokers young tiktokers coming to take my jobs so your patreon why should why should people sign up make the case uh, what do they get, I guess? What do you get? Well, you get early access to long-form interviews. Uh, you get uh, discounted tickets to the live show. You um, get – sometimes you get sketches first. Sometimes you get works in progress of sketches first. So oh, that's cool. We put that's up, really cool. So we put up the Facebook explainer video. Um, it was about three-quarters of the way done. And I was like, here you go. This is what we're working on. What do you like? What don't you like? Is there anything kind of missing here? And you can kind of see a sketch halfway built. Do you get much feedback in that situation? No, very low engagement. Um, I, th- I think the folks on our Patreon aren't invested in the community aspect of it so much as they are wanting to support the show. Yeah. 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 So that's yeah. really that's really awesome. So um, our highest member is paying 500 bucks a month. Yeah. Gee whiz. And uh, yeah, yeah they're, uh, <laughs> it's, it's quite remarkable. They are, uh, they run um, a, a mining company and a construction company and they moved out of Sydney to get a better life with their family down the coast and they just kind of oversee a bunch of companies and they love the conversations we have about climate change and stuff right, like so that. just offsetting a little bit. It's offset. It's guilt. <laughs> it's, it's guilt offset. And if you run a mining company yeah. and you want a guilt offset, <laughs> head over to my Patreon where you can anonymously give me lots of money. <laughs> and when you're sort of, you know, not doing all your shows and, and everything, are you listening to podcasts as well? Oh, are yeah. You're sort of really totally, yeah. No, no, I'm uh, I'm a fiend. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I like to listen to new podcasts, new voices um, and try and find – If I, I love finding new talent who are ready to pop and um, some podcasts have got them. Like I listen to a great one at the moment, Indigenous one called uh, Bro Originals, um, two, Sydney, uh, two Sydney blokes. Um, they're two Indigenous blokes and they uh, put out a – they put out a really funny podcast about kind of pop culture and um, indigenous kind of um, gossip, and it's really it's good. It's good. Awesome. It's good. There's a great bit where they're talking about how they got sued by New South Wales TAFE um, because they had this idea. They had, it's not my story to tell, but in a the nutshell, they made a joke about um, what it means to become 
an emerging elder. And so they put up a thing on their on their Facebook page saying, Hi, I got my cert for certificate in emerging elder from TAFE. <laughs> and good. so New South Wales TAFE sued them. Oh no. <laughs> or sent a sent a cease and desist letter. So it's this beautiful story. Um, oh, I recommend that episode a lot. So you can it's- send them a couple of copies of your original ones and say it's nothing to worry about. I sent Travis <laughs> an email saying, um, uh, that's really great. And uh, uh, I really appreciated that as someone who's caused trouble in the past and I've getting him involved in a small comedy incubator I'm running at FBI Radio so we're running I'm on the board at FBI and uh, I'm running a small comedy incubator called Inside Jokes where we're trying to find the next breed of audio uh, content creators and give them a shot on FBI Radio and give them training and access to other people in comedy to to do that yeah has that been going for a while now? Is it? We just started. It's, we, we're just kind of picking first cohort this week, and um, they will over the next six months they'll be given um, a few weeks slot each, and training and access to mentors, and uh, hopefully by October November we'll have a um, a showcase of uh, of all the talent that we've found, and we'll do a live show at FBI, and we'll invite the industry to come and have a look. So, Terrific. I'm sure we'll give you guys a call to come and have yeah, a look. Yeah, that's at, a great initiative. Yeah. Series come through the, the cohort. Some great stuff, mate. Yeah. Well, we do like to finish off. So this seems like a good place to to end. Is advice for other people. You're obviously running these kind of programs, which is you know helping the youth get into comedy, particularly. Um, any little bits and nuggets that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah. Um, uh, Andrew Denton, my mentor, uh, has a great one. It's like. Just be aggressively you. Uh, I always thought that was very, very helpful. So yeah, I think you know, just being aggressively you is really important. Like you're a, you are a, you're, you're if you're a unique, creative person, don't try to be anybody else. Just be yourself because the stuff you're making is is valuable. Um, and uh, also, great statistic I heard this this week that Apple said there are two million podcasts on their Apple Podcasts directory, but only one million of them make it to episode two. Wow. What? Really? So there are a million ghost podcasts out there. So my tip is to really set a calendar and publish that calendar as often as you can. And, you know, if you need a break, call, call it a season. Give yourself five weeks at a time. But, you know, publish, publish, publish. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for making time in your calendar today for us. We really do appreciate no it. No worries. My pleasure.